If you have your study notes when you walk through the door, I want you to grab it, grab a pen. If you don't take notes, man, take notes. I want you to think this through, and we're going to start with this question. Are you ready? What is the gospel? I want you to think about this question. What is the gospel. When I say at Easter Sunday, Easter weekend services, we're going to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What is it? And truth be told, if I gave everybody an index card, five by seven card, and I said, write down your definition of the gospel. The truth is that if we handed all those in and I started reading them, how many of you think I'd probably get three or 400 different answers, right? I would get a lot of different opinions because people say different things. And you know what? For church, churches for far too long, they've had the gospel, then they've added stuff to the gospel. So there's a lot of confusion to what the true message of the gospel really is. Now you, 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 you can say this, you can say, um, hey, how do I get to Loblolly Street? in Lufkin. I know where Loblolly is. We used to live there. When we first moved 12 years ago to Lufkin, we lived on Loblolly Street. And, and I, could, I, could, I could give you directions. You know what would be a lot easier though? Is just, hey, follow me. Get, you, you get in your car, I'll get in mine. Follow me to Loblolly. And many people use the gospel that way. They just say, you know, hey, follow me to the gospel. Come, come with me to church. And that's an okay avenue. But there also has to come a time if you're gonna deepen in your faith in Christ, you need to be able to accurately describe what the gospel is. Not just, not just the definition of good news because the word gospel simply means good news, but it's the good news about what? what, what the good news and what all does that entail? And so you probably don't have enough room to even write this down and it's not in your blanks, uh, you're, you're filling the blanks there, but this is basically a very simplistic statement of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. And what is it the good news about? That God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the son of God and offering salvation and forgiveness of sins for who? Everyone who repents, turns their way, changes their mind, repents, and believes in him. That's the gospel message. And I wanna ask you, do you know how to effectively live the gospel message? It isn't it great that the very first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They are the same story given from different camera angles. You know how you've, you've watched uh, maybe a football game and, and there's a certain call on the play and the camera angle, in order to get the call right, they throw the red flag and they challenge the call and they go up to the booth and they get a different perspective from different camera angles and they make the call. Well, the gospels are the same story of Jesus and what we just read, but they are the gospels uh, given from different camera angles angles, but the same story. So you and I would really begin to dive in to know the power of the gospel. And so Matthew is the very first of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My, uh, my dad would say, uh, son, when you go on a date, I want you to put a Bible right next, you know, right in between in the console between you and your girlfriend. 
because you're going to have a hard time crawling over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> he said, and if you do, guess what's next? Acts. <laughs> anyway, Matthew is the gospel. And the key in Matthew, he wrote to a certain audience. I'm speaking to an audience right here of a, of a diverse group. Matthew, through the breathed word of God, wrote to a specific audience. Uh, he wrote to the Jewish culture. He wrote to the Jewish nation. He, he wrote to those that, that, that honored God through Jewish tradition, the Israelite people that, that, that were either born into Judaism or converted into, into Judaism. And he wrote from a very particular lens to Jewish people. It's why you read the book of Matthew and it starts with this big old long genealogy. It's like ancestry.com right at the very beginning for the first chapter. Chapter. This person begat this person. This person begat this person. Anybody ever read that? If you've ever read the Christmas story with your family on Christmas day, chances are you didn't go through the 48 different, you know, this person begat this person. You probably started with, uh, when the census was started with Caesar Augustus, you know, you skip all that. Well, nothing's wasted in scripture. The purpose that Matthew puts into that genealogy is he's talking to Jewish people and Jewish people were looking for the Messiah and the Messiah had to come from a specific group. He had to come from a, a specific tribe. He had to come with specific anchors in who he was, where he was from. And so it doesn't, doesn't it make sense that Matthew, because of his audience, is beginning to show that Jesus comes from the line of David, from the tribe of Judah, that, that he's, he's connected in this way because he is connecting with an audience and it's a camera angle into who God is through the book of Matthew. In Mark, it's a much more condensed. You want to read through the gospel fast? Read through the book of Mark. The least amount of chapters. He skips all of the birth. He goes right into Jesus' ministry. And it's written actually for a busy culture. It's written for the Romans. The Romans were the key audience for, for the author of Mark. And it was, busy, it was busy life Romans that he was writing. And they were all about what they could do, all about what they could accomplish, all about what they could conquer. That was, all, that was what their gods were about. And Mark, his theme is not just revealing the Messiah, but revealing the chief servant of Jesus. So his thematic element is really showing us Jesus from the understanding of he is a chief servant. And by the way, this whole word Messiah, it's just the, the Hebrew word for anointed one. So when you say Jesus, the Messiah, you're saying Jesus, the anointed one. When you say Jesus Christ, the word Christ is in Greek and the word Christ means anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus anointed one. Someone thought that it was Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. That was their last name, you know? No, it's not like Jesus Christ, like his last name, like where is he in the phone book? No, it's Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Luke, Luke gives us analytical, very detailed. It's the longest, it's the longest of the gospels. In fact, uh, the author Luke wrote Luke and uh, a huge portion of Acts and all of his words combined are actually more words than uh, any other author in the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the New Testament books wise, but word wise, Luke wrote the most words in the New Testament. And he is speaking to a Greek audience, dramatic, uh, running, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the Colosseum and the chariots and, 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 and the fights and the duels and, and the, 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 the Hamlet or whatever 
kind of dramas and the leaves and the hair. And, and he's, he's speaking to this illustrative, illustrative, dramatic, analytical group. And he brings in very illustrative, dramatic, analytical content to the view of Jesus. Finally, we have the gospel of John. Now the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what we call the synoptic gospels, similar Okay, similar in stanzas, similar in events, a lot of similar things. A little bit different here and there, but very similar. But John, John takes a little bit of step further. And John is not considered part of the synoptic gospels, although he is part of the gospel, the story of Jesus. But he, pray, he takes it from events and he really drives down and not so much the events, he drills down into the meaning behind the events. Whereas one gospel would record him feeding 5,000 with a to-go box from Red Lobster, you know, some Cheddar Bay biscuits and some tilapia. Somebody does that, but John takes it deeper from Red Lobster. He takes it deeper and he talks about the meaning behind the miracle. And so you read deeper into John, you can see so much of the meaning because he's not only speaking to the Greeks, he's not only speaking to the Romans, he's not only speaking to the Jews, he's speaking to everybody, to you and to me in 2017, as well as those that read it as it was released to them. And you know, it, it, how many of you have a, have a friends or a neighbor and you get to know them and they, you need to like take their dog out or pick up the mail for them or make sure their house is okay. And they tell you where their hidden key is. Anybody ever had that relationship? My in-laws go to the first service, they live over here. Their hidden key is right over, no, I'm not gonna tell you where it is. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you where it is, but uh, <laughs> he hid it from me the other day. I don't know what's going on there. I hope we're okay. But um, you know, if you if you want to uh, if you want to know the hidden key behind the meaning of the book of John, uh, you go all the way to the back. You get behind. You get the hide key, right? And the hide key is found in the book of John, chapter twenty. And John says it in such clarity. There's no mistaking why he wrote the book. Here's why he wrote the book of John. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, and not just the anointed one like a teacher, a rabbi, a prophet, but he's the anointed one, the son of God. He's, he's divine. And he goes on to say, and that by believing, a process of believing, you may have life in his name. That's why we just saying what a powerful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, our King. And you can have life in his name. The truth is many people are trying to live the life they dreamed of. Everybody wants to live a good life. Nobody's coming to church this morning saying, I'd love a mediocre life. Nobody's doing it. You're not raising your kids saying, you can be mediocre, son. You, you, you can, it may look that way. But you, 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 you want to believe that the best is yet to come? And he says, you want to have the best life, the great life, the good life. That's the life in his name. And the only way you get to that, his name, is by understanding the name that you're talking about. His name brings life. And many of us are living in the name of us. Living in the name of convenience. Living in the name of significance. Living in the name of that next paycheck, that next purchase, that next somebody finally saw that I am worthy of their love. So many people are living in the name of their father on earth and their father on heaven because their father never said what they wish they would have heard. 
and they've been trying for years to get the appreciation and acknowledgement of their father on earth and they're living for the wrong name. Jesus wants us to believe and that by believing, we can have life in his name. So what does living in his name look like? Well, you know, you and I can't really live without certain elements, right? There is uh, certain elements that we have to have. And through the book of John, John connects the dots of the elements you and I need to survive with who Jesus is and what he provides for our lives. For example, John says he's the light of life and that light is life. In John 1, we read it together in, in the, during the worship experience. He's the light of life. We see that he's, that he's light. You, you really aren't going to experience the kind of living if you live in darkness. I mean, your, your whole physical, your physiology won't work right if you're just in darkness all the time. You need the light. Your body, your skin, everything, you are created to live in light. And he uses even the imagery of your created body to show you can't live without it. And we can't live without the light who is life. And that light is Jesus. And he says, I am the light of the world. And John shows us that. He's the living water. There's this conversation in scripture where Jesus, instead of going and taking the shortcut around, taking the loop around and getting to his destination, he goes through downtown and gets through into, un, un, into the territory where the Jews didn't want to go into Samaria. And Samaria and Jews are like, ah, they were against each other. It was several big issues going on in that culture. And the Jews didn't believe the Samaritans were worthy of their time. And, and uh, they were kind of this mixture of religions. And they felt like they didn't know the true God. And, and they weren't even going to talk to major racism, major prejudice. And Jesus walks right through Samaria and he ends up at a well. And a Samaritan woman ends up the well. And, and here's the deal. The longest conversation recorded in the Gospels is with Jesus and a woman who's a Samaritan. And it just goes to show you Jesus is counter-cultural. Jesus is, is culture's going this way. Jesus is saying is, hey, I can, in, I can invade the culture and then I want to lead you into a new path. And there at the well, they're drawing water for life and he's saying, I'm the living water. You can't live without water. You, 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 you can't live without the living water. I mean, you can, but it won't be life in his name and it won't be the kind of life you were designed to live. He's the bread of life. You may want to write that down. I've already mentioned to you the feeding of the 5,000. Later on, he says, I'm the bread. Do you know that when you were in the wilderness, he talks to these guys about Jewish culture and Jewish history. And when they were uh, freed, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, God brought manna down and manna was, was like, in fact, the word manna means what is it? If you have a friend and they say, hey, what'd your wife cook you for, for dinner last night? And they said manna, it means what was it? <laughs> I don't know what it was. They didn't, know, they didn't know what it was. They just called it manna. What is it? That was the name of it. And yet it was, it was provided for them. And Jesus is basically saying to them, after he fed thousands with a little tiny happy meal, he says, I'm the manna. What is it? I am. What is it? I am. I'm the bread of life. And you can live life, it's not gonna be in his name. But if you live life in his name, you're gonna understand your sustenance, what you need, your daily bread. 
You find it in Jesus. Finally, he's the breath of life. After Resurrection Sunday, that evening, uh, the disciples were freaked out. They were scared. They were running. Were they going to get arrested? Were they going to get beaten? Were they going to get crucified like their Savior was? Savior's not going to supposed to get arrested like that. Savior's supposed to live and bring in the new kingdom. What is going on? And they had a lot of questions, and they were worried, and they were concerned, and they had hunkered down in the safe house there in Jerusalem, and they had deadbolted, click, 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 pushed up the couch, set it up like this, up against the door. They drew the shades and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the curtains. They dimmed the kerosene lamps and they were just waiting. There was a secret knock probably, you know. Oh, it's Mary, let her in. Well, resurrection night comes up and Jesus doesn't know the secret knock. He doesn't need the secret knock. He just like walks through the wall. And there they are singing Kumbaya and Peter's got his head in the fridge looking for something to eat. Andrew sees Jesus and he passes out on the coffee table and Peter spits out his coffee. Jesus shows up with scars in his hands. He says, peace be with you. And then there's something in John. He says, the Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, where else did we see the divine breathing on us? In the book of Genesis, we see that when humanity was created, it wasn't just a bunch of clay and dirt left to go. He added part of himself into us. It's why you were created in his image. And in the beginning of creation, he adds the breath of life. And Jesus says, I'm the breath that you need. You can't live without breath. You can't live without breath. You can live without the breath of life, but it won't be the life you were destined to live because the breath of life will help you live in his name. So the scripture, that hidden key, you may have life in his name, but it all circles around by believing. Not just one moment of belief, that's salvation, but strengthening your resolve of who he is and why he came and what he's done and how he's still alive and still moving and still active, that is a consistency of believing. It's not a one moment in a church service, one moment at a camp, that's salvation, but strengthening yourself and living life in his name is an everyday relationship that is immersed in believing. Now, what's the challenge to this? What's the, what's the problem with this? Can I tell you what the problem is? There's not, there's not a problem with the scripture, that's good. But the problem is our believing is bombarded every day. Your believing is bombarded by life. And the enemy would love nothing more. And this culture would love nothing more than to bombard your believing and shift your thinking and shift your focus to believe in something else, something, someone, somewhere else. And so how do we deal with that? Well, one of the biggest obstacles is doubt. We deal with doubt. If you are doubting and you're in the church this morning, you are in the right place. This is not a church for everybody who has zero doubts. Because guess what? Every single one of you that is like this, <sighs> breathing, you've had your doubts. You've had your struggle. You've had your questions. 
You've had your challenges. And if you're saying, not me, baby, then you're, you're, you know what you're, you're, you're struggling with? Denial. Come to the front. We're going to pray that lion spirit out. We all have issues of doubt. And some of the top three, we may not all deal with these, but these are some of the three that we deal with, especially right now in, in 2017. Write them down. One is the critics. You're trying to live your life for Christ and you begin to hear, um, this is hilarious. This is a poker chip up here. That's awesome. Timber Creek Church, everybody. Go all in. That's it. Just go all in. I bet it big. I bet it big in Shreveport. I'm bringing my big gift Sunday. Okay. Bring it. <laughs> what? Hilarious. The critics. Now, especially with the social media life we live in, where anybody that has a smartphone or a computer and, and a keyboard and thumbs can give you their opinion, whether you want it or not. And I mean, what happens is Bobby Joe Blogger, he's 21 years old, living in the basement of his parents, doesn't got a J-O-B, but he's got a lot of T-I-M-E. And Bobby Joe can type up, here's why I don't believe anymore. And that can go across your newsfeed seemingly with just as much weight as someone posting a scripture from the book of Romans. It's because information is a utility these days, not a commodity. You can find information anywhere. And you have to be smart at thinking about the source of where you get your information. And I'm just old school enough and old fashioned enough. And I'm inviting you to be old school and old fashioned enough to still believe the word of God is the source for your life. That it is the foundation wherein your life is built. That it becomes the moral compass for every decision you make in life that you raise your children on that moral compass. It's withstood the test of time. And tell me to tell you something, it's going to withstand Bobby Joe Blogger because it's still the word of God and you can stand firm on it. It's the gospel. Critics though, they get in, our, they get in their way. David had critics, the psalmist David. And he wrote in Psalm 78, 73, they scoff at God, how proudly they speak. And so God's people are dismayed and confused and they drink it all in. That, that's why, you know, listen, uh, you wanna go to a movie, go to a movie. You, 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 you wanna go, you wanna, you wanna spend time on Facebook, spend time on Facebook. You wanna have fun, have fun. We're not, we're not gonna sit here and preach just behavioral modification at this church. Like if you really love Jesus, you won't go to a movie. That's preposterous. That's behavior modification. What we're, what we're gonna preach is the gospel. And that is if you think the way Christ wants you to think, it's gonna affect the way you feel about life. That will in turn affect how you act. But it starts with the transformation of your mind, renewing, being transformed by renewing the way you think, not the way you act. If you change the way you think, you can affect the way you act. But many churches are all built on, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And can I just say something to you? Listen, you've got some freedom and you've got some grace, but you also gotta be careful not to drink it all in. 
Too much water, you can drown. And what I want to suggest to you is that I feel like for the name of grace, we've become so graceful that we've, we've lost a lot of our standards. Yeah, okay, two of you. Now, this is not a soapbox. This is not a soapbox. Because you clapping might have standards that you expect someone else to fulfill, and it has nothing to do with the gospel. Because notice that when I said the gospel, it didn't say Jesus became man, you know, he became man, he resurrected, salvation for years. Oh, yeah, and only go to movies that I say you can go to. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel according to Ginny. Not the gospel of Jesus. You with me? I mean, I, you may not get anything out of this today, but I'm going to get a bunch off of my chest. I think I just popped a button off of my... <laughs> Our pastor preached his shirt off today. <laughs> and everybody ran out screaming. <laughs> and it wasn't the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Blind! <laughs> Okay, moving on. But look who he says are dismayed and confused. It's not, it's not the world, it's God's people. Because we can listen to the scoffers. We can listen to the fools. Only a fool says there's no God. And boy, we can listen to them. Look, you are not called to be so simple-minded in the gospel that you walk around with fingers in your ears, not willing to address the issues of today. You ought to be diligent enough and studious enough and hungry enough and thirsty enough where you can stand up to the with the gospel against the trends of today's society. But this is gonna be an issue. It was an issue back then. It's gonna be issue today. It's gonna be issue for your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Get used to it. Now we're going to boycott Beauty and the Beast. Okay, oh boy, now I just stepped in a bunch of stuff right there. If that's for you and your family, do it. Do it. Stay away, okay? But what, what I can tell you is that's a standard, but that's not enough to just boycott people into the kingdom of God. It's about time we start having conversations with people. Like knowing well enough why we say no to certain things that aren't just because this person blogged about it and now it's mass hysteria. People running, bumping into each other. Beauty of the beast. She's dating an animal for crying out loud. <laughs> Isn't that like weird enough? <laughs> Tale is old as time. No, what? Time is old as rhyme? Falling in love with a wolf, what? I'm going to re release that from the record. I got seven minutes. Let's just move on. So, so Jeremy, what are you saying? Is it okay to watch it? We took our kids to watch Beauty and the Beast. We, we, didn't, we didn't boycott it. But we've also started a conversation with our kids about the reality of life that is smacking our eighth grader in the face every single day at school. Now, does it, mean, does it mean that every parent ought to let their eighth grader go watch me? No, that does, that's not what it means at all. That, that, that's why children ought to obey their parents and the Lord for that is right. That's why parents ought to, ought to set a standard for their family. For us, it opened up a conversation about life and about who, de, who decides what's right and what's wrong. 
who does? The word of God, doesn't it? And so then we simply have a conversation, okay? Now, I'm not taking them to 50 shades of gray. <laughs> you know. I just got to keep going. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> Psalm 42. You, you guys with me so far? You love me? Okay. You're not mad. You're not walking out because I went to beauty and beauty. Okay, good. Again and again, they scoff. Where is that God of yours? But oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. Expect God to act. The other translation in the NIV says, uh, why are you downcast, soul? Put your hope in God. When scoffers come after when you see it, put your hope not in Bobby Joe Blogger. Put your hope in God and expect him to act. Number two, my conscience. Always let your conscience be your guide. Act. Don't do that. Jiminy Cricket is a liar. Don't let your conscience be your guide. But yet there are these voices. The voice of the spirit. The voice of the enemy. The voice of your own flesh and your pride that are speaking to you. And it's important to find the whispers of the Holy Spirit through all of those voices. I'm going to tell you, I know my wife's voice and laugh in an entire crowd. She could be across the room. And if she laughs, I say, oh, that's Janet. Why? Because I know her. I've spent time with her. I've walked with her. And you know the way you begin to tell the voices in your head? <laughs> From the Holy Spirit to your flesh to the enemy, you spend time with the right voice. And then through all the crowd, you can say, oh, that's them. That's the Holy Spirit right there. And my conscience though, that it can lead me down. I make decisions on my own because my conscience says, the right voice says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't, don't say that. Don't, don't embellish that. Don't make that. Oh, say, say no to that. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, hey, some people have disobeyed their consciences and they've deliberately done what they knew was wrong. Oh, I know it was good. And you hear it like this. I know God just wants me to be happy though. I know God wants me to be happy. No, he wants you to be holy. You'll find happiness through holiness. You'll find joy through holiness. But he wants you to be, ha he wants to be holy before you're happy. That's just the way it is. But, but, uh, but deliberately done what they knew was wrong. You, you, you know somebody that they, they know they shouldn't get into that, but they get into it anyway. It's because... Their conscience has caused them to really doubt that where they are following life in his name is the right life to have. And they've become hungry for something outside of the boundaries of that life. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. The truth is, if you are continuing to say no to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're walking in a way, you say, I hope God will forgive me for this. At some point, you're simply walking away from believing and you're gonna step out of that life that you were meant to live in his name. It wouldn't, and it won't be a surprise. It won't be a surprise if you live like that. Number three, our circumstances. Our circumstances, this is the number one issue that causes us to doubt. When, God, when, when everything is good, God is good, baby. When life hits you over the head, where's God? What's going on? How could he? I don't know what I believe in that junk anymore. If God was really real, he wouldn't have let this happen. He wouldn't have let that person die. He wouldn't have let that situation take place. He wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been wounded like I've been wounded. And you're here and your wound is legitimate. 
You're here and your, your crushed, hurting soul is real. And your circumstances has placed you in a position where it's caused you to, to, to be challenged with the gospel. And by believing you have life in his name, but you're struggling because of the circumstance. You're not alone. Happened to the disciples. You know, the day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, this is Mark chapter four. Hey, let's go over to the other side. They were in a boat. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A furious squall, big old thunderstorm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Some of you feel like that. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I mean, the disciples are there, get your life vests on, matey. And Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. And some of you feel like Jesus may have been asleep at the wheel when you dealt with the circumstance you dealt with. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? And you know, I think that that's one of the biggest issues that anybody that has a hard time coming to faith, anybody that's been in faith and has been believing, but has had a major tragedy or hurt or loss in their life. And they look up to heaven and they say, don't you care? And maybe you're here and I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to have gone through what you're going through. All I can tell you is when you read the gospel and you understand the gospel from start to finish, you see that there are people just like you that say, don't you get it? Don't you care? And Jesus says, and this isn't a con- condemnation. He says, he, re- he, he doesn't rebuke the people. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. He didn't say quiet and be still to the disciples. Quiet, be still. Don't you, don't you ever question me again and I care. What he quieted and what he stilled was the issues. It was okay that they came to them with, him with questions. The wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the truth is the more we ingest and digest the gospel, the more it should build our faith to see where he's come through in the storms of life. If you're going through a storm, get in with God. You can ask him good questions. You can say, hey, what's going on here? And you know, this church, we built this church to be the kind of church anyone can come to where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. Where it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know if I believe. Well, guess what? That just means you're just like one of the disciples and you struggle and you're in the safe place today. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. The more you can answer that question, who is Jesus? They're seeking him, they're spending time with him and his, and his church family, through reading about him and talking with him through prayer. The more you, you, more you live by believing, the more you answer, who is this? We are often troubled, but not crushed, sometimes in doubt, never in despair. There are many enemies, but we are never without a friend. And though we badly hurt at times, we are not destroyed. That's the gospel. So how do we deepen our believing today? As we wrap up this morning, How do we deepen our believing? Because it's one thing to hear all this and hear it. It's another thing to now hear and do. 
So let's do these things together, okay? The first, yeah, I've got to admit, I've got some doubts. <laughs> you got to be willing to say, I've got some doubts. I've got some struggles. I've got some issues. I'm wondering, I don't know about that. I, I, what does this mean for my life? And it's important that you don't just throw that up on Facebook where everybody that are your quote unquote friends have equal platform in your life. It's like your mom and the person you liked yesterday as a friend because they were a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend and you got two mutual friends. And they say, you just gotta go with your gut. Whatever feels good, do it. And your mom's like, you know I taught you better than that. And you're like, that's your mom. Admit I've got some doubts. You know what happened to John the Baptist? John the Baptist himself, family member of Jesus. He says, I'm preparing the way, but there's someone coming before me, everybody, who's uh, Birkenstocks, I'm not gonna unbuckle. I can't, I'm not even worthy to touch his Nike sandals. And he's gonna come and he's gonna, I'm baptizing you with water. I, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And sure enough, Jesus shows up to be baptized. And John says, whoa, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he baptized Jesus. And it's this beautiful, glorious thing. But later on in the story, about a year and a half later, John the Baptist gets arrested for no reason, but gets arrested out of the pride of King Herod and he's thrown in a dungeon. And a few chapters later, we read that John heard in prison what Christ was doing, all the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And so J John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus called John the greatest man who ever lived. And yet John says, hey, hey, go give this to Jesus. He's like, are you the one or not? Like, I thought like, you're Birkenstocks, dude. I wasn't gonna touch them. I told everybody stay away from your feet. Or should we expect someone else? Even John the Baptist, but here's the deal. He went to the source, he went right to Jesus. He didn't go to all of his disciples and say, I don't know about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's call Susie. The first person you should go to is Jesus. Admit you got some doubts, but don't just go to Facebook. Don't just go to the, the secular philosophy. Can I promise you this? Someone who wants to prove their point against Jesus is going to work tirelessly to prove their point against Jesus. And if you want to suck up all their information, you can, go to this, you can go to their source or you can lean into Jesus and trust that the son of the living God is who he says he is. You know, the Bible says, be merciful to those who doubt. And so if you struggle with something, I want you to know this is a safe place here. We want you to grow. This is not a, a place where you can stay and just be skeptical of everything. That's not gonna work. Go find another church for that. But if you are, if you are doubting and struggling, this, this is a safe place for you to digest the gospel. And by believing, you can find new life in his name. Number two, go with the faith you got. Go with the faith I have. That's what you got to do. Some of you trying to live on grandma's faith. And grandma's got some crazy faith. Grandma's been, she, 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 she was like popped out of the womb saying in Jesus' name. 
She's just, you know, she loves Jesus. She's got 80 years of praying under her belt, baby. And you're trying to live off her faith. You you got to develop your own faith, but you don't have to develop grandma's faith at 21. You got to go with the faith you have. And for the Bible is very clear. It's not about how much faith you have. In fact, it's faith of a mustard seed. It's, now a mustard seed is a hard thing. It's solid and it can produce quickly, but it's small. Go with the faith you've got. Don't let your faith set over here because it's so small that you just choose to put your focus on other things that aren't based on Jesus. If it's a mustard seed, then you protect that mustard, guide that mustard seed, put it somewhere where you protect it and let that mustard seed grow. But you gotta go with what you have. Here's the equation, a little bit of faith plus a big God. You know what the the answer is? At first, I wanted to put big results, but actually that wouldn't even, that wouldn't be accurate. A little faith in a big God doesn't always mean that the results you get are the results you want. And if I put, if I put little faith plus big God means big results, you would translate that to mean if I just pray harder and I believe harder, Every prayer I pray will be answered the way I want it pray, answered. But that's not accurate. But can I tell you this? A little faith in a big God, you know what the answer is? Always a trustworthy result. Because we can trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, submit to him. And he will make that path clear. And you can trust the results, even when the results aren't what you were wanting Little faith in a big God, you can trust the results, but it takes that faith. Number three, you gotta, I gotta feed my faith. Just because it's that small mustard seed, now you gotta feed it, you gotta water it, you gotta, you gotta be that, you gotta let that breath of life and the bread of life and the living water and the light of life consume your life. Be a part of every day of your life. And if you feel guilty over that, you say, man, I've never been consistent with feeding my faith. You're in the right spot because there's a whole bunch of people in here that wish they could say to you, I've read, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, and they don't. And there's a big old guilt trip on a lot of you. Can I just say, forget all that and start feeding your faith today. Forget all that, I am so behind on my yearly reading schedule. Can I just be honest with you, you ain't gonna catch up. <laughs> You ain't gonna catch up. You're like, I got 87 chapters to read this Saturday. (laughs) The gospel isn't God became man, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died in our place. He rose again three days later, providing the power that he is the son of God and that that, uh, you can have received salvation and forgiveness and put your faith in him and make sure you read your Bible every day. That's not the gospel. It's about what he did, not about what you do. But if you wanna feed your faith, start. Start somewhere. Don't wait for all the perfect conditions. The proverb says, the man who waits for the perfect conditions to do anything never gets anything done. As soon as we're financially secure, we're gonna have our first baby. (laughs) Please, that is a moving target. You gotta feed your faith. And I'll give these to you quickly. Knowing and following the life and actions of Jesus, feeding your faith through knowing and following, 
Here's what it'll do, these three things. You will seem more, their faith will seem more possible. You'll see that there's possibility. The more you, you, you feed your faith through the gospels, you, God, God can do anything and you can believe it. It'll seem more practical. Everyday life, you see when you read the gospels, how Jesus just showed up in the middle of the mess. Doesn't just show up on Sundays. He shows up in the middle of the hangover. He wants to show up in the middle of everyday messes and he's practical in that way. And he wants to become more personal. Jesus is not a philosophy to follow, a philosophy to read about in a book. He's a person that has hands and feet who wants to walk towards you. A philosophy can't walk anywhere. A philosophy can't grab you by the hand. A philosophy can't speak to you in a, in a, in a loud or small or quiet voice. A, philo a philosophy doesn't die for you, but a person a person is approachable, real, loving. You can walk towards him. He walks towards you and he wants it to become more personal and you gotta know and follow. Everybody today on your way out, we're gonna give you a bookmark. And starting this afternoon, I'm gonna invite you along with me and my wife and we're gonna take our kids through it from now until Easter, the day before Easter, it's 21 days. Today until the day before Easter, 21 days. There are 21 books, or tw pardon me, 21 chapters in the book of John. I wanna invite you to read one chapter a day, starting today, that by the time we get together to celebrate Easter, we will have together as a church family, eaten the bread of life through the book of John and reminded ourselves of this beautiful gospel. Look at what it says in, in Jeremiah. You can get that bookmark on your way out today, but look what it says in the, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, your words were found. <laughs> and I love this, and I ate them. Your words were found and I, I consumed them. Another translation says, I devoured them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord. You wanna live life in his name? Find his word and eat it. And you'll know what it means. You'll know what it looks like to be believing and experience life. Would you pray with me this morning? Close your eyes with me. If you're here today, and from the moment we began to this moment, there's been a voice in your heart encouraging you to surrender to that voice and begin to follow Jesus. If that's you, he's not mad at you. He loves you so much that he would give you this day, March 26, to make things right with him. The hardest life we have to give up is the life centered around self and he's offering life centered around him. And if you need to make Jesus the center of your life today, maybe for the first time or you've drifted and it needs to be the first time in a while. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you, not gonna call you out, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold. If you, you wanna ask Jesus to be the center of your life, 
I mean with boldness and conviction. I want you to shoot a hand straight up in the air like you're going to touch the ceiling. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I don't want to live that self being the center of my life anymore. My addiction being the center of my life anymore. A relationship on earth is the center of my life anymore. What I got or what I don't got is the center of my life anymore. Yeah, yeah, hands raised all the way up. I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Friend, it's not about what I could pray over you that would ever save you, but Jesus loves you so much. He's a personal God. And if you will simply ask him today to become the center of your life, he gives you a fresh start. Not all of your wildest dreams come true at two o'clock today, but you get centered in Christ and you you begin believing and you can experience the life he's always desired for you to live. You can put your hands down. In your own words, you might say, Jesus, I'm with, without you, I'm lost. Without you, I can't make my own way. I've tried it. I put you as the Savior and the Lord of my life. I believe in the gospel message that you became man, that you lived the perfect life. You died in my place. You rose again, meaning you're a powerful God. You, you, are, you are more powerful than death and you've prepared a place for me in heaven. I accept that. I turn from anything that is not pleasing to you and I wanna begin walking with you every day. For those of you that have a friend or a loved one, they've been struggling with doubt. Maybe you yourself, you've been struggling, oh, this circumstance or a critic or your conscience. If that's you, I just wanna pray over you. Jesus, let's pray for every person that's hitting a roadblock. They wanna believe, but they got some unbelief. May they see you for who you really are. A God that's not mad at them, but wants to help them overcome this roadblock and live life in your name. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen.